Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony, a news magazine show featuring human interest, in the spotlight, movers and shakers, and the news and happening that affect all of us in and out of the ACB community. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to another Sunday edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona, and I am really, really excited to be bringing you the show that we have today. It's been a couple of weeks in the making, but you could also say it's been a couple of years in the making. As those of you who who saw the promo know, three years ago, November 6th, I was matched with my guide dog, Bodie, and my life forever changed. So now it's time for me to pay it forward a little bit and talk about these amazing animals and the school that brought me and Bodie together, the Guide Dog Foundation, as well as the process, what the dogs experience for the first year of their life. We're going to talk to my puppy raisers, Holly and Eric, and extended family member Nancy, who has a dog that was raised right after Bodie. Georgie, and they are a forever handling team. We're going to talk to all of them, but first, let me introduce Lauren Berglund from the Guide Dog Foundation. Lauren, welcome to Sunday Edition. Thanks so much, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here. So my name's Lauren, and I work as the Consumer Relations Coordinator at the Guide Dog Foundation and America's Vet Dogs. Um, that is the organization where Anthony and Nancy received their guide dogs and where Holly and Eric raise puppies for our organizations. We're so happy to be here today and share about the process of, you know, raising and getting a guide dog and the support we offer after that. I also have Doug Wiggins, who is currently a field rep, but has run the gamut in all the various stages and places that you can be in, a guide, in the Guide Dog Foundation. Doug, welcome to Sunday Edition. Welcome, Anthony, and thank you very much for having me. Yes, I've kind of been there through the gamut there. I've been at the foundation now for 31 years. Um, and started my apprenticeship out there and went through the whole process. So I've been, enjoyed my professional life there. It's been a blessing. All right. I'm going to skip actually to Nancy. Nancy is from Brooklyn, and her pup is the second dog that Holly and Eric raised. Nancy and I are brother and sister from another mother, as Bodie and Georgie are (laughs) also. Hey, Nancy, welcome to Sunday Edition. All right, she'll unmute in a moment. And of course, Holly and Eric, my puppy raisers, they are from Pikesville, Maryland. They have now successfully raised four dogs, three of them being guide dogs. Holly, Eric, hi. Hi, Anthony. Hey, Anthony. Thank you for joining Sunday Edition. So I want to go back to Lauren for a moment. Can you walk us through the actual puppy lineage and when a... um, when a litter is born, what happens those first couple of weeks before they're actually placed with puppy raisers? Yes, yeah, certainly. So kind of just as a FYI, a little bit of knowledge. 
So puppies are born in our nursery on Long Island in Smithtown. They are also, you know, bred there or um, some puppies are born in their breeder caretakers homes. So we have Labrador Retrievers, Golden Retrievers, and then a cross between those two. And then we also have standard poodles. So all of our breeder dogs live in breeder caretaker homes on Long Island and then either come into the foundation when it's time to have their babies or we support those um, litters being born at home. Once the puppies are born, they are obviously get pretty thorough health checks. Um, they are, you know, kept with mom where they can do all that they need to do. They're supervised pretty much 24 seven. Um, those puppies spend the first eight to 12 weeks of their lives in the nursery. During that time, they partake in a lot of different veterinary examinations, temperament testing, and also exposure to so many new different and stimuli. So through our bridging program, puppies get to play in a lot of fun, different toys and environments, many of which are actually baby toys or things from out in the environment, such as grates, truncated domes. We have some old baby toys. Um, so like those little standy rocker things are what I think of. Um, and the puppies can walk all over those and practice the different textures. They get to play in something called an adventure box, which is a PVC cube with ropes and a whole bunch of toys hanging off of them. And so through that, the puppies are able to experience different textures and noises and all those fun things, because that's a really important time for development. During that time, they're also handled by humans. They get baths, they get their veterinary checks and all that fun stuff. Um, the puppy program is not necessarily my area of expertise, um, but we do have tons of additional information on our website. When those puppies get to an age where it's safe to go away from mom, they are placed with their volunteer puppy raisers where they spend the next 14 to 18 years, or oh, sorry, months of their lives. Doug, this is where you come in, or at least one of the spaces where you come in. In those first couple of weeks when you're evaluating, what, um, what about a puppy tells you that they're going to work out well for the program? And conversely, what might come up that tells you that a puppy might not be right for guide dog work? And Anthony, before he answers that question, we are getting a bit of an echo. So if um, people are unmuted, we would ask that you mute while you're not talking because it's going to um, cause a little bit of a feedback loop here. Sorry, Doug, go ahead. No, that's fine. I, I more or less deal with the dogs once they've more or less come in for the formal training. But, you know, once, once uh, you know, the raisers, you know, raising a dog and exposing it to different types of environments, they're really more or less observing and see how the dog does re react to the environment, as well as they will work with, with their advisor if they see any certain situations that come up, maybe with the, the dog or the puppy reacting in a particular situation. How do we, you know, work on that? See if it's a situation that we can resolve with the puppy raiser, see if the dog can get over it. You know, because the dogs are going to be exposed to a lot of different situations when they're out there working with, you know, the their new you know client once they go through their formal training um but usually you like them to be very sound around traffic uh not reacting to a lot of noises um being exposed into crowds so going to malls that's really great to really expose the puppies to be you know being around other people as well as other animal just animals because you know you always have animal distractions and you know the dogs are going to react but what does it do to take the dog to get their attention back on their work so the Puppy walkers can kind of do a lot of exposure there when they're when they're raising the dog. 
You know, I mean, really, if it isn't, it wasn't for the puppy walkers, I can do the job that I've been enjoying for, you know, for 31 years, you know, so they, they really are the key to raising these puppies for us and getting out there with, with all the exposure. Um, you know, even if they can take them on a, the, the uh, train, you know, take them on a city bus. Because this is what a lot, of you, a lot of the clients that we get, this is part of their life and what they'll be doing, you know, when they're out there working with their um, guide dogs. So, Maureen, Guide Dog Foundation has been doing this for almost 75 years. They'll be celebrating sometime in the coming year, 75 years. But there's also a sister program, America's Vet Dogs. Can you tell us how that came to be and what America's Vet Dogs does that's different from the Guide Dog Foundation itself? Certainly, Anthony. So America's Vet Dogs was started in 2003 as our sister organization. They are two separate certified nonprofit organizations. Through America's Vet Dogs, we place guide, service, facility, and combat operational stress control dogs with veterans, first responders, and military personnel. So we actually do place guide dogs under the vet dogs umbrella, but those are guide dogs that are going to a veteran or first responder. So we do some of the same things, and we also do some more different things. So part of what we do within the service dog side is PTSD service dogs. So these are service dogs that learn specific tasks to help mitigate their veteran or first responders PTSD. So they do this through something called rest where they place their head on their veteran's lap and give them a grounding type of sensation. They can also do nightmare interruption and wake up a veteran in the middle of a nightmare by removing covers or nudging them. They can go get help in the event that their veteran has fallen within the home. They can go push a button that notifies assistance. Um, through the service dog side, which they're all technically service dogs, but we just kind of use these terms to help us differentiate internally. Um, we're looking more at those physical disabilities. So opening doors, opening and closing the refrigerator, picking up dropped items doing steps one at a time to help with balance and counterbalance so the veteran and first responder is able to stay more stable. Um, and then we can also kind of put all of these in a combination. So let's say we need a guide dog to help someone who's blind, but they also need assistance in picking up things in PTSD mitigation and all of those types of stuff. So we use the Labradors and the Goldens and the Lab Golden Crosses in that program. And those students also attend a training course just as our guide dog clients do. And they receive the same, you know, aftercare and support. Both GDF and AVD are certified through both the International Guide Dog Federation and Assistance Dogs International. And through those, we're able to really give a great support system. Kind of a fun thing we also have that I hope we can get back into when COVID settles down is our Cats and Dogs program. So this is a program that happens at a few VAs around the country. And we don't give people a cat and dogs. The cat is actually computer access training alongside guide dog training. So <laughs> this is a way that a veteran can learn more of those independent living skills, such as computer access training, alongside training with a guide dog. So those nice. are some really cool things we can do with the combination programs. 
So both Doug and Lauren, whichever or both of you want to speak to this, what should someone who is considering, whether it be for guiding or in the PTSD or um, service arena, what should someone who is considering applying for a dog think, know, uh, evaluate about themselves in their life? What do you guys look at when you're, you know, when you're looking at applications? So I can touch a little bit about on what, what we look at when I'm, this is big part of my job is speaking with these initial applicants. And then I'm sure Doug can give us more information on, you know, what a suitable guide dog applicant would include. So things to obviously consider is it's a dog. They can get sick. They um, draw a lot more attention from the public. Um, and it is, a, you know, a whole li living, breathing thing that's going to accompany you for the rest of their lives. Um, things to look at within yourself is obviously are you ready for that responsibility and that financial when we look at um what makes someone ready to partner with a guide or service dog we are looking at different things depending on you know the type of dog so i could go into this forever but really on that guide dog side we're looking at someone who can travel independently cross streets independently using those non-visual techniques Someone who's legally blind, you can be, you know, just legally blind or you could have no vision. We we work with people along that spectrum as long as they cannot let their vision impact their ability to work with a guide dog. Obviously, you need to be able to, you know, put some money towards the dog for food and vaccines and that kind of stuff. But we are here to support graduates in times of need as well. Um so when we look at, you know, that service dog side, it's really a lot more detailed and individualized. I would love to go into all of that if someone is interested and wants to give me a call. Um, I'm sure we'll have a chance to share that type of information later on. But you could also go to guidedog.org or vetdogs.org to get more information. And, and Anthony, too, if you're thinking about getting a guide dog, you know, what we're looking for in the applicants is at least they have at least three practical and purposeful routes that they travel. Um, mm -hmm. We like them to at least be able to work a dog for 20 minutes continuously um, because you know you want to be active when you're working with a guide dog. Um, you, you know, um, trying to think of a couple other things we, we'd like you to do. We want you to be aware about, you know, the work that goes into making a guide dog team to actually succeed. A lot of people think when you come to the foundation, you're just going to get this perfect dog and it's working for you right away. But what, yeah. what are you do? I'm sorry, go ahead, Anthony. No, I was just laughing. Yeah, like we were getting a computer. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but when you come to the foundation and, you know, when you go through the training, it, it is very, you know, it can be very rigorous. Okay, because you're there for 14 days. Okay, and when you're working with a dog, it's a two to one ratio. So it's two students per one instructor. So there's a lot of, you know, we can customize it, give you that personal attention when you're working with the dog. But what we're doing is we're teaching you and giving you all the skills that you will need to be able to work with that dog. Okay, but then when you go home, then you've got to teach the dog about all the routes that you travel. Okay, as well as and use those skills that we gave you when you went home with the dog to, to go home with the dog and, you know, to teach them those ropes that you will be traveling. And when you work with the dogs, too, which I'm sure, you know, you're going to have the good and bad days. 
You know, the dogs are gonna try and wanna take that control at times, but we're teaching you on how to be the alpha dog and how to try and um, work through various situations that you go through. So the foundation obviously is a well-oiled machine. Um, there are hundreds, if not thousands of graduates at this point, wonderful dogs, wonderful people that have come through the program. But on the other end, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people that make the program work, the volunteers. Can you talk a little bit about puppy raisers, puppy walkers, and you know the volunteers that, that work with the organization to make these amazing animals, these amazing partnerships happen. Who's that to, Anthony? Is that to Lauren or myself? Both of you, yes. But for the, you know, the puppy walkers, I mean, obviously we have, you know, the people who raise the dogs and if it wasn't for them, we couldn't do what I do. We have people who will actually help volunteer in the kitchen. So whenever we have class, People will help serve meals. Um, we have volunteers at work in our kennels where they help um, walk dogs, um, you know, come in and give them some attention because the kennel environment can be very stressful at times. Um, we have, you know, people help uh, in the administration part and whether it's to do with, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe assisting the financing department. Uh, I know Lauren has people come and help assist in um, in in the um, consumer services office. Do you have anything else you can add to that, Lauren? Yes, yeah, certainly. So, Anthony, we could not do what we do without the volunteers. They are literally such an integral role in everything. In pre-COVID, they were literally all over campus all day, every day. Obviously, that's been a lot different with COVID, but they're still playing that integral role. So a really cool fact that is a new fact I like to share about what our volunteers really mean to us is when we went remote back in March, within the span of just a few days, we had over 250 dogs out of the kennels and in volunteer homes. That is the amount that we appreciate and love our volunteers. They are always there to help us when we need. Kind of like what Doug said, is I have volunteers that work in my office helping with scanning. We have volunteers who go do the not so glamorous part of scooping poop in the kennels. Our volunteers play such an integral role. When we have guide dog classes on campus, they are at Panera Bread and they help the students navigate internally while the other students are out training. The volunteers help transport dogs. That's a super big role um, where we need to get dogs down to the puppy raisers, such as Holly and Eric. So we're able to, with the assistance of our transport drivers and our volunteers. We have volunteers that fly puppies and adult dogs across the country. We really couldn't do what we do without those volunteers. And they do everything from answering phones to, you know, assisting our applicants and graduates on campus to um, helping in the event that a dog needs a temporary home or anything like that. There's just so many, even sewing. There's so many ways for we need volunteers and volunteers make what we do possible. Um, and there is more information about that on the website. <laughs> and we're going to get to all of those contact information a little later on. You know, I remember when I heard this number, it, it, it backed me up against the wall for a couple of minutes. I was like, wow. What is the approximate cost to raise a guide dog? What does it cost from birth to the point where that dog meets its handler and, and they're a well-managed team, approximately? 
Yeah, so we say that, you know, you know, birth, even pre-birth, because we got to factor in breeding all the way through, we yeah. do provide that aftercare service. So even like, let's say Doug, part of his role, if I was in Doug's zone and I needed help with a training thing, Doug would come out to see me. So we kind of factor in all of that. But on average, we say about $55,000 goes into each singular dog. Nothing is charged of the graduate. So that is another way volunteers in the donation scheme really make what we do possible. Um, because that's so important to me that we can give our graduates these incredible dogs without them having to worry about the cost. Because it is it is a lot. I mean, $55,000 is a lot. And it's great that through donations, we are able to provide them at no cost. I've often joked, people are like, oh my God, he's so good. I want him. I want him. <laughs> Well, treat me a, you know, the cost of a BMW. So let's knock that down. Treat me a Camry and a driver for three years. Yes. And I'll trade you. All right. <laughs> exactly. Joking, but, and that is, it's, yeah. that is a good point. I mean, they are super valuable, but they make such a difference um, through what they do as little dogs. So uh, we could talk about all the various volunteers that go into and thank you for giving us an overview the office staff the the puppy pooping patrol but um let's talk about puppy raisers because i'm gonna swing segue into holly and eric in a moment what makes a good puppy raiser and what should people out there who have always have said to themselves you know i want to raise a guide dog when things slow down or the kids are at college or maybe my kids in high school and i think it would be a great responsibility lesson to do this what should people know about puppy raising and what do you look for in puppy raisers? So I'm sure Holly and Eric can touch on this better than I can, but some of the things to kind of keep in mind is it's a huge responsibility and a huge time commitment, but I've been told I've never personally been on that side of it. I've been on the receiving end as a handler myself. I don't think I actually shared that. Um, but the joy I get talking to her puppy raisers that made her who she is is just incredible. Um, but what you need to know is there are tons of different ways to be involved with puppy raisers. So whether you just are able to give like a weekend commitment, you can puppy raise within our prison program. So the puppy's just with you on the weekends, but over during the week, they're in the prison with their, with their inmates. Other ways are on college campuses. We have pretty extensive puppy raising programs. Um, you can do co-raising, so it's just, you know, you get to share that responsibility with someone else. Um, there's a lot of different ways to get involved, but I think from what I've seen on the other end is a big way is you just got to have a big heart and a big desire to not only learn yourself, but to help a dog learn and grow into that amazing, you know, guide or service dog. So perfect segue, perfect transition. Holly, Eric, say hello and tell everybody a little bit about yourselves. Hi, um, I'm Holly and Eric and I have been raising guide dogs since June 9th, 2016. Uh, of course, our first dog was Bodie, your dog Anthony, and we received him as a tiny puppy at eight weeks old and we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> We went to a training class and saw dogs uh, sitting together of all ages from like 10 weeks to eight months. And the instructor rolled a tennis ball down the middle of a mall and not one dog moved. We thought that was magical. And we're like, we need to be a part of this. 
So uh, after a couple of classes watching the other dogs get handled, we finished up our application and on June 9th, we got Bodie. Eric. Yes. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you, when you got Bodie those first couple of days, was it anything like what you imagined in the weeks leading up to it? Uh, well, he was a puppy. I imagined all of that. So all the things that go with a puppy, like, you know, having to take him outside a hundred times a day and uh, all of the other things. Um, but there were a lot of surprises too. Um, like I forgot that little teeny tiny puppies just sleep a lot, um, <laughs> which is good because when they're awake, they require a lot of attention. Um, they don't like to walk. So I had these visions, these romantic visions that we would get this puppy and we would immediately go outside and go for like mile long walks. And he wanted nothing to do with that. He was just like, no, I want to go back inside. Why are we out here? So um, <laughs> there were definitely surprises and there was so much we had to learn. So we, we went to a lot of classes and I think that was very helpful, especially at the beginning. Um, our idea was that we would just kind of front load on classes because, <clears throat> pardon me, there was a lot of, of travel that we wanted to do. So we ended up going to lots and lots of classes just in case we would be gone and not be able to attend class for a couple of weeks. Um, and we didn't end up traveling as much as we thought, but it was really good to just go to all of those classes and learn from the people who actually knew what they were doing. And, and um, it's a great community and we did learn a lot. Yeah, there is definitely a great community in Maryland. Tell us a little bit about what some of those early classes are like. So you show up and there's uh, someone who knows what they're doing with an awesome dog who's already kind of like on their way and you try to emulate what, you're, what they're doing and you get great advice, great feedback. You get to watch everybody else work with their dogs and you learn so much about handling, about what dogs like, what they expect, what they need, how they can be supported. And I gotta tell you, it is the best time I've had in my life. Like being able to participate in this program and raise a dog and have it succeed. And it's just been incredible. And I think if you're somebody who's been like out of school for a while and you've been doing all the things you've become expert at your whole life to suddenly be thrust into a new situation <coughs> a new program and have to learn all of these new skills. Um, it's humbling. <laughs> but at the same time, you remember, oh, yeah, I used to have to learn new things like this all the time. And it, it's, it's great. I mean, it, it rejuvenates you and um, makes you realize what it is like to, to jump into something new, completely different, to maybe not be, uh, you know, <clears throat> an expert at something and just really learn new stuff. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask a series of questions that start with, tell me about these days. Um, so be ready, but tell me about two days with um, Bodhi, right? That day that you thought to yourself, oh God, he's never going to get it. And that day where it just, everything was magical and it all came together. Oh, okay. I got the first one. All right. <laughs> so, um, uh, Bodie, Bodie can be a little headstrong and stubborn sometimes. No. Uh, and, and <laughs> as, as new puppy raisers, we were a little bit of a pushover. 
So um, I remember him just like standing on top of the love seat, looking at me kind of like, he's a big dog. So he was kind of looking at me right in my eyes. And I was like, off. And he would look at me like, no. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, this, he had just started that. He had not done anything like that before. And I was just like, what are we doing? This is just, it's wrong in every way. And I was just, I was so worried that we were ruining the dog. I mean, every razor goes through that. I'm going to ruin this dog. But um, we worked it out, so. Okay. All right, Holly, how about when that day realized, it all came together? When we realized it all came together is that we were getting ready to take him up for in for training and he was so perfect. Everything he did was perfect. Everything we asked him to do was on point. He was, you know, eye contact was brilliant. Uh, sit down, stay. He was just incredible and calm. And, you know, we're like, oh my God, we're going to drop off this perfect dog. And the day, the day that we dropped him off, I think we, we walked away and both Eric and I and just, just stood there and went, he's going to make it. <laughs> we were so proud. So one of the reasons I wanted to do this show, you know, obviously I want to highlight the school that gave me my life-changing, you know, eyes, partner, hand, my best friend, but also is because I'm, I'm a big advocate of the puppy raising, you know, relationship and letting, um, you know, letting the handler decide how much contact, et cetera, et cetera. So I want you guys to tell me about the day you had to bring him up and then the day you found out he was matched from your perspectives. Well, I can tell you a little bit about the day that we took him up. Um, we were procrastinating because we didn't want to take him in. We also didn't quite know where to take him in, but we, we figured that out and we walked in and we're like, okay, well, here's our pride and joy. Here's this project we've been working on for more than a year. You know, he's the greatest thing ever. And they're like, okay, do you have his vet support, vet notes? Do you have this? Do we have that? Yep, yep, yep. We've got the whole checklist. And, and they're like, okay, great, thanks. And we're looking at each other like, okay. <laughs> and Bodie just, he heard other dogs. He smelled other dogs in the facility. And he was so excited to go. Like, look back, sad, not at all. His tail was wagging, tail high. He happily went off with other people because that's what we do in training is he happily takes on another trainer all the time. So he just happily went marching down the hallway while we're just holding back the tears and sniffling. And, and um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was hard. Everybody asks all the time, how can you do it? And it is really hard. Um, but it was anticlimactic too. Yeah. He just walked off like, okay. Yeah, you just take them. These people who are like professionally, they just take these dogs in every day and they know the next step. And he's going to go see the vet. He's going to have this. And we're just like, but, but he's booty. <laughs> yeah, leading up to that, like we were like, oh, we got to get all the pictures we can get. We've got to have all these like great moments with him. And uh, when, you know, we, we got the call, you know, a few months later, we would get a, a report, you know, once a month. He's doing good. He's on track, blah, blah, blah. We got the call that he was matched and we were so excited. So you came all the way back from Maryland to Long Island for what's called Celebration Saturday, 
what thoughts were going through your head as, as you were waiting in that room, knowing that at some point your Bodhi was going to come out with his new forever person? Well, that was the thing. He wasn't our Bodhi anymore. And we were gearing up for that. We were prepared. And we were really excited to meet you. We had had a, a brief phone call with you. Um, and, you know, we kind of talked about our expectations and that was fantastic. And then being able to actually meet you and see you and Bodhi walk in together. Like, I, I think we were good. We didn't really shed any tears until we saw you guys walk in. And it was so amazing. We just, um, we just yeah. Everything came together. So that celebration Saturday, you also picked up another dog. And I will never forget meeting, you know, you guys outside with um with Georgie and, and the happiness and the joy, but the also like, oh my God, you know, there goes Bodhi. He's you know, he's <laughs> he's going to do his thing. So you picked up Georgie. Were you guys, were you guys ready to do it all over again? Was there any like, okay, we're, you know, we just did this. We gave this, you know, wonderful gift, but oh my God, you know, he's gone. He, we may never see him again. We may never know. I think you guys knew at that point that you would, but, you know, were you ready to do it all over again or did you have any trepidation Oh no! before going into it? I mean, we knew, I mean, this is what we signed up for. We were so excited to just we just want to keep doing this. And the more we do it, the better it gets, the better we get. Um, when we picked up, we actually had to wait 24 hours after we dropped off Bodhi to get Georgie. It about killed us because <laughs> we were like puppy free for 24 hours. And then when we got Georgie and he went to the kennel for a few hours while we went to celebration Saturday and I was so excited. I needed them to touch noses. I'm like, you guys got to meet each other. So that, you know, Bodhi could pass off all the information to Georgie. Of course, that's how it works, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, there, there was no question that we would do this over and over again. And we knew what we signed up for. And we had talked to other puppy raisers who had gone through the program. And they were very supportive. I've got to say, like, our, our group is very supportive. There is no, uh, everyone, we're in this together. Everyone comes together and talks about their issues, talks about their successes, is very supportive, is there for you when you're sad, you know, when you're confused, when you need help. And that is like, I moved to Maryland when I started raising puppies. This, these are my friends. This is my family. This is my group. These people have helped me, you know, get into this program, raise successful dogs, and we're all there for each other. And I've got to say, I am so proud to be a part of this program. So fast forward another year, and um, thankfully you allowed me to be um, a fly on the wall for the process with Georgie, and I got to see various different stages. And I remember, you know, we had gotten together at one point early on, and then we got together right before Georgie was going to go up, and the difference was so incredibly magical. I mean, he was just, we, um, sidebar note to everybody listening, we had, um, spent a little bit of time in Maryland and we went to the Smithsonian with both dogs, Georgie and Vest and Bodie and Harness. And I remember Georgie trying to emulate Bodie and, and do the things that Bodie was doing. And I was like, Oh my God, this dog is so ready to go. Wow. The difference between a couple of months was amazing. So let's talk to Nancy. Nancy, you were the lucky recipient of Oh my God, what has got to be now? I love Bodhi beyond reason, 
But Georgie has got to be the most mellow, zen, awesome dog I have ever met. Georgie's phenomenal. I mean, I'm sure every handler feels that way about their dog, but it's just amazing. I guess it's the matching process or whatever, but me and Georgie are so on the same wavelength. It, it, It just, it still amazes me every day. I remember, you know, seeing on the graduates page and and a couple of things that you had posted in the early days. And I'm like, rock on. (laughs) They're going all the way to Coney Island in one shot walking. Oh, my God. This is, you know, this dog is ready to go. But tell us about tell us about meeting Georgie. So the process that they they tell you what kind of dog you're going to get early in the day and then later on you meet him for the first time. So tell us about your experience meeting Georgie. My experience meeting Georgie, let's see. Oh, I was told I was getting a black Labrador male. So all day I obsessed about what he was going to be like. Um, what I had done was I, I brought a toy. I have, I have a pet dog and I had brought one of my pet dog's toys with me just so Georgie can get used to her smell and everything else. And I had left it on the bed. So when Georgie walked into the room, he looked at me, he looked at the toy on the bed and he went straight for the toy. It was, <laughs> he, he didn't care about me. So it, it took us like a good 15 minutes to actually like, Hey, you're mine. I'm yours. And, and he, he got it. He got it. I'd say within Within the first six hours, me and this dog were completely bonded. Completely. <laughs> Tell everybody about that first walk. They take us to um, a track, a high school track, and we do our first walk along there. Tell us about yours and Georgie's first walk. That first walk was the most amazing walk. I mean, I grabbed that handle and we literally flew. Flew. And I hadn't walked at that speed in years. It, it, it was, I mean, I, I can't even describe the feeling to somebody of, of it, it. It was just amazing. It was amazing. We, we went around the whole track. And when I was there, it was, it'll be two years in January. And it was really, really cold. It was like, like below zero. So we actually had to wait an extra day before we got to go out with our dogs because it was so cold. So we did it, and I just wanted to do it again and again and again, but it was, <laughs> yep. too, it was too cold. <laughs> <laughs> How about that first time going through the town and actually interacting with people in public and going in and out of stores and things? It, it, it was just, to this day, I, I say, it, it was the most amazing feeling. I, I had no fear, no anxiety, no, no nothing. It was just, okay, dude, it's me and you, and I trust you. Let's do this. And it's been that way ever since. Awesome. So, Holly, Eric, you've gotten, um, you've gotten three dogs placed. You kind of got an idea of what their lives are like. What is it like when you see us working our team or when you see us going through, you know, coming out of the bus, getting through the terminal or walking through the mall, et cetera? It's like seeing part of her family. I mean, we're, we're so grateful that you guys, you know, want to stay in contact. I know that's not always the case, but to see you guys working together, it's like sending your kid off to college and he finds his mate 
and wants to bring them home. It's amazing. So I'm going to segue back to and bring Lauren and Doug back into the conversation. The Guide Dog Foundation has a couple of famous dogs under its belt. Um, Holly, you've been raising one of the Baltimore puppies. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing every week and how Brooks is different from the first three dogs you raised. So our first three dogs are being raised to become a guide dog for someone who is blind or visually impaired. And uh, I think because we are in the Baltimore vicinity, they asked us to raise a PTSD dog for a veteran or first responder. And so our dog is Brooks and he'll be heading back up to the America's Vet Dogs Foundation this Saturday. He's you know, completing his, completed his puppy raising with us over the last year. And we're learning new skills with him. We're learning completely different things than we learn with guide dogs. He's working on both sides of us. He's learning you know, how to rest and how to alert when someone's having a nightmare. So it's been a great experience. I have enjoyed it. Um, you know, of course, raising guide dogs is still my passion. Uh, but I really enjoyed the process of having an America's vet dog, having a service dog that will, uh, you know, complete different skills. So this has broadened my horizons. Like I, I couldn't have ever imagined this before. It's been amazing. And I think Holly left out that, uh, uh Brooks, yeah. is it, Brooks is sponsored by the local TV station oh, yes. here in Baltimore. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so every Wednesday, uh, Holly is, is on the air with Brooks and has been showing the progress Brooks has been making um, to everybody in Baltimore. And so this is the second dog that, Baltimore, that yeah. Baltimore is sponsored this way. And so Brooks's uh, name was actually chosen by the viewers. Uh, they voted for Brooks, named after Brooks Robinson, um, a famous Baltimore baseball player, for those who don't know. And he, uh, uh, he gets recognized when we go out to different places and that's that's added a, a whole new level of of uh fun onto uh puppy raising and awareness for the program it's been great we go to schools we talk about his you know his skills and what he's going to do as a service dog it's it's really been very nice and a lot more eyes he has his own instagram account and he's being tracked every wednesday lauren He's not our only famous puppy or dog, is he? He is not. When we, I look, every time I walk in the office and stop to talk to somebody at the front desk, Brooks has this adorable puppy picture with his namesake up above the desk. And it always makes me smile every day. So we do. We have quite a few um, puppies with a purpose is what we call them. So we have some graduated puppies with a purpose. One of them is Camden. He was the first puppy in Brooks's spot. She, oh goodness, so sorry, Camden. Um, and that she was in yards <laughs> as with a veteran, um, in the actual Baltimore area. And she now for just over a year. We have Radar, is our guide dog puppy with a purpose. He graduated just a couple months ago and works with a blind Paralympic swimmer who's local to Long Island. Um, we have Sully. He's probably the most famous of the Puppies with a Purpose graduates. So Sully worked with George H.W. Bush before his passing and now works as a facility dog at Walter Reed. And then we also have kind of in progress right now. Hopefully I can remember everybody. We have down in Atlanta, we have Spike. He works, he's with the soccer team down there and will be a service dog. We have a the pen fed puppy is with a bank. 
Um, and he's also a service dog in training. We have on Long Island, we also have another Islanders pup, Tori. She'll be a service dog. Um, and then there are two sports foundations that have sponsored dogs as well. One of them is connected to, to the hockey area. And I apologize, I can't think of the name quite off the top of my head. Um, and then, yeah, we really couldn't do what we do without those puppy sponsorships either because um, those really help us get to where we are. And not only do we have those puppies with a purpose level sponsors, so those higher level sponsorships, but we also have people who choose to donate $6,000 to name a puppy. So my guide dog, Sammy, was actually named, um, her puppy raising group down in Florida had a puppy raiser who passed away from, from brain cancer. And they actually raised a whole bunch of money and named different puppies in honor of, of that woman and, and her husband. So Sammy has quite a fun story. She's actually the only um, foundation dog with Sammy spelled S-A-M-I. So she's a little bit of a special girl in that she, she has quite a bit of a namesake behind her and quite a fun story. So a lot of the dogs are sponsored and um, that is another way where the sponsors can meet the clients during um, Celebration Saturday. So, Lauren, tell us a little bit about what people can find on the website, some of the um, lectures and, and um, videos that they can see up there, and then segue into how they can contact, donate, be a part of the Guide Dog Foundation. Certainly. So the websites have tons of different information, as do the social media profiles. So kind of the best way to get to everything is if you want to look at all the guide dog stuff, it's just guidedog.org, singular. And then the vet dog stuff is vetdogs.org. So V is in Victor, E-T-D-O-G-S.org. Um, those two sites can get you onto the social media platforms. They can get you to our student lecture series if you want to learn more about having a guide dog. They have information on those basic qualifications, but also characteristics for success in working with a guide or service dog. They have information on the puppy raising programs and all of the ways ones can get involved with that. There's information on donating, on sponsoring, on volunteering, and all of those types of things. You can also request additional information. And then you do have the way to contact all of our different departments. So our main number is, it's pretty nice and simple. So it's 631-930-9000. With that number, you'll get to the main front desk. And you can then, you know, kind of tell them what you're looking for and they'll get you to the right area. If you specifically want to apply for a guide or service dog, you can give me a call. And that is 631 930 9055. You could also email consumer services at guidedog.org. Um, and you can also do info at guidedog.org if you have general information and questions you have would like to have answered. Um, a really fun way to kind of get some more information and stay involved is to follow those social media channels. You also get quite a few adorable puppy pictures along the way. Um, and those are both on Facebook and on Instagram, as well as Twitter, I believe. So I've definitely got a couple more questions for all of you. But Byron, I know that we had some people in the waiting room. Do we have any hands, any questions for anyone yet? Let's take a look. Um, I just admitted a couple of people from the waiting room. 
So if you are, right, well, if, Byron is looking to see if anyone has their hand raised. Hang on, sorry, I'm I was, with- sorry, Anthony, I was muted. I was sitting there talking to you, and you couldn't hear me. Um, <laughs> so I just admitted a couple of people in from the waiting room, um, and I do see one hand up. Um, I see Beth, so I can All right. unmute Beth and lower their hand. Beth, welcome to Sunday Edition. You should be able to unmute. Now. Thank you guys for such a wonderful, wonderful show and information. And oh my gosh, I'm just loving this. I have a couple of intertwined questions. Suppose that someone is a senior and lives in a facility, maybe assisted living, and this person wants to walk around the facility every day. There are sidewalks and there are, you know, places that that they trails and sidewalks and stuff no interest in the city buses and the crossing streets and this and that um maybe there are some other health issues but they want and need to walk 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 is that something it is there a chance for uh, that situation to be able to get a guide dog. And the second part of the question is, do you do in-home or in-facility training? Thank you so much. Great questions. Doug, Lauren, you want to tackle those? Yeah, usually, you know, to get a guide dog, some people, depending where they do live, you know, you, you like to have at least three different purposeful routes. If you have the same route that you do over and over again, a dog can get bored with it. And the dog can kind of um, will challenge you at times. Um, and you want to be able to sure that you're physically, you know, shape where you can actually go for, you know, a, you know, at least walk for at least 20 minutes a day to be able to keep a dog active and going. Um, but you know, you, you want to make sure you actually have destinations and you're just not doing a, just like a big loop because the dogs will get bored. Um, and as for basically, um, home placements, uh, that's on a case-by-case basis. And, of course, right now, the whole COVID thing, we've had various challenges we've been trying to work with. Um, so really depends on the person's need for that, for a home placement. Um, even if you don't have any street crossings you might do in your home area, we like you to have those skills because when you come in for training, you will be walking various destinations um, where you will be crossing streets, we like to see that you can judge traffic and know when it's safe to cross, um, as well as going through the fundamentals and working with the dog. You know, we, we're showing you how to do uh, left-hand turns, right-hand turns, um, the about. We're showing you how to actually, you know, what we do in the foundation, too, is we actually treat the dogs at every up and down curb. Um, so it's more positive reinforcement and training for the dogs. Um, I hope this answers some of your questions, Beth. Here's one of my favorite questions, yes, Doug. You. How does the dog know when the light is red or green, and how does it tell me when to cross? <laughs> Actually, it's it's the person. The person's got to be able to listen to the flow of the traffic and know when it is safe to cross. They can tell the dog forward, but then there's another command called intelligent disobedience. And this is where if the dog feels is not safe to go, the dog can refuse to go. But then the oh, person I'm... has to check to see why the dog didn't go. Is there because there's a big ditch in front of you? Is there because a car was coming, you know, down the street and decided not to go? But it actually, it's the person listening, you know, for the flow of the traffic. 
Oh, so we're dispelling the myth. The dog doesn't actually know the red and green traffic light. <laughs> no, no, no. And actually, traffic training is very challenging for dogs too, Anthony, because you know we get we we in training we show you how to do you know how to cross streets when you have a traffic check and everything like that. But depending where you live, you know, this mm-hmm. is my experiences over the years. Some people live in some towns where if someone sees you at the cur- curb, everyone stop and you cross. And then you, you'll listen, then you'll cross. But then let's say you go to a, a different environment. I'm going to use New York City for an example, okay? Yep. And, you know, here you are. It's like, okay, I think it's safe to go. And then you tell the dog for, but then you have a car comes flying by you. The dogs kind of get conditioned a little bit to the home environment that you, you know, you kind of work in day to day. So that can throw them off a little bit. So you always have to be aware of your surroundings and really know what's going on with the traffic. Byron, do we have any other hands up? We do. Uh, we have Derek, and we also have somebody with a 614 area code. So we'll take Derek first. Derek, you're unmuted, and I'm lowering your hand. Feel free to unmute yourself and speak. Yeah. Hi there. Can you hear me now? Hi. Welcome. Can you hear me? Okay. We Thank got you. you Welcome. I'm uh, sorry, I'm just stepping outside. Bear with me a second. Um, I'm really enjoying the show. Thank you to all of you. Uh, I am uh, lying to the point of where I'm not totally blind. I still see light, but I can't see my hand in front of my face. Uh, Based on that, I'm a very adventurous person who's only been blind for a few years. And one of my frustrations is the fact that I really would like to get a dog in the near future and be able uh, to train the dog, obviously, to know my surrounds and get to stores nearby where I can walk to. However, I want to be able to train the dog to work with me in areas I'm unfamiliar with. Now, what is your suggestion as to the best way to do that? I'm sorry, well, Eric, um, go, go ahead. I just didn't get, go ahead, Anthony, finish that question there. I, I was going to say, you know, from I, personal experience, I was less than just a little less than two years of independent mobility um, my, myself. And they came down, they evaluated me. They decided that I was worth a try. They brought me up. Um, we understood that, you know, it was a process and, and I might need a little bit of aftercare in my home once, you know, once we got back, which I did receive um, but I, I think, you know, you can't really, the dog, you know, that you're going to get matched with is already trained from multiple environments. It's more you and your team coming together and, and exploring how, um, what the dog is trained to, to alert you to that you're picking up on those things. I think none of us will ever know all of the routes we're going to do in our lifetime. You know, when I got, I now live in Florida. I lived in Staten Island, New York when I got, the, when I got Bodie. Um, I couldn't imagine ever moving out of the environment I was comfortable in. You know, I had had sight all those years and I could remember what the sidewalk, where the cracks were, where the trees were coming up. I couldn't imagine ever going to a new environment, but because of two years of amazing work with Bodie, it, it's, it was nothing for me to move down to Florida. Um, but, you know, your dog is going to come with all of the skills. You just have to be able to trust in your partnership and pick up what you need to know. Uh, you know, one of the things that I taught Bodhi 
uh, Nancy, I know, had a lot of success with this, too. One of the things I taught Bodie along the way was to recognize all various different kinds of garbage cans so that when I was out and about in New York City or in, you know, in an airport or wherever I might be, if he's got to go, I need to know where to put it. I don't want to carry that bag of poop more than a couple of steps <laughs> if I don't have to. <laughs> right. Doug, right. would you add anything for that? No, I think, you, you know, you, you hit it right on the head, Anthony, you know, you have to have an idea of where you're traveling and when you're, you know, where you're going to, because um, the dog's not going to be be able to know where exactly the spot you want to go to. A lot of times, I we tell folks, you know, if you go to a new area, you're moving to a new area or something like that, you know, get your orientation uh, mobility out there, see if they can work with you and teaching you the new routes. Uh -huh. You know, as well as we'll go over some other techniques. Um, if you want to learn a route, there's various techniques that we go over you with you while you're at the foundation on how you can try and teach the dog a new route. Yeah, honestly, okay. by the time you go home with your dog, you will know enough to, when you need to do those those first uh, routes that you're not familiar with, you'll feel comfortable enough. You'll have enough trust in your partnership to just, you know, branch out and do things you need to do. Sure, exactly. Thank you. And what you want to try and do too, well, when you're um, go home and learning a new route, you want to, you know, you don't want to throw a lot at you and the dog. You want to, you know, break it up in you know, stages. Some yeah. routes that you know they're very simple and build build from there. You know, a lot of people get the idea, okay, now you know I go home and boom, I can go hit all these different places. And you know, you can't. You really got to take the time and build on those routes from there and the destinations you need to go to. Yes, and I'm very aware of that, and hence my question because I'm somebody that likes to be able to go wherever I want in terms of if I decide I want to go, let's say, downtown, I live in the Mickey Mouse hellhole, a.k.a. Orlando. And um, and um, anyway, uh, that's it and done. That was just a joke. Uh, if I were wanting to go downtown, I'm having to rely on memory from a lot of years ago. And... I would like to be able to, you know, be able to have somebody maybe to give me enough time to work with me. Uh, could you use somebody like a friend just as a guide and then maybe take the dog down that route, let's say 10, 20 times, and so he sees it? And then what if I only go downtown, let's say once a year versus uh, every two weeks? Yeah, if you, if you want to learn like a new route, and you do know your, you know, kind of your home area, but you want to learn about certain landmarks and how to direct a dog where you're going to a destination, you can have a friend assist you there. Okay. But, um, and then again, there's various techniques you can do that. Now, if it's something where you do once a year, you know, you might, you know, the dog might not be as sharp, but after, you know, you do it a couple times, oh, and yeah. the dog, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, after you do it a few times, the dog kind of wants to anticipate and maybe take you where you've been before. Sometimes you have to tell them, nope, not today. Forward, forward. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Anthony. The dog dogs will actually have sometimes their even favorite routes to do. You know, when you sometimes might say, nope, we're not going to go there today. This is what we need to do. But, you know, if it's and something you just do, let's say one year you go the next year, you're probably, you know, depending on your indip the individual person, your capabilities – you might have to have someone go with you again, you know. Derek, the Guide Dog Foundation website has an amazing amount of information, videos, 
Um, if you start there, I, you'll, a lot of these questions will be answered. And also, I am sure that if you reach out to Lauren or Doug, if you have any questions after going through the material, they'd be more than happy to follow up with you. I am going to go on to the next caller because I want to give everybody a chance to Thank ask their questions. I'm with you. May I just throw an idea out there that maybe you can discuss after I get off with uh, this one-on-one uh, -on -one call? Um, I use Microsoft Soundscape. How useful, uh, if anybody knows, would that be as uh, me and the dog as a team being able to have Soundscape uh, tell me where to turn, what intersection oh, I'm at? I Nancy can tell you the same thing. We use our GPSs. We use turn-by-turn -turn directions. The, the guide dog is not there to tell you where to go. You know, they're not there to make the decisions for you. They can, they can suggest things along the way, but ultimately, you know, you're supposed to know what you're doing, where you're going, et cetera, et cetera. And the, and the dog is just keeping, keeping you moving and keeping you from, you know, not interacting with things potholes cars that might hit you etc but they don't Correct. actually make the decisions for you no nancy, i am aware of that yeah i am aware of that All nancy right. did you want to speak a little bit to you know using apps and and Bo and uh, georgie at the same time hello there you go <laughs> here i am here i am sorry i was muted um, yeah, I use apps. I, I also, I have some vision. I have retinitis pigmentosa, so I have tunnel vision. Um, but I really don't rely on my vision, uh, especially with Georgie, you know. I use apps. I ask people, um, you know, I, I, what, what, whatever it takes, really. But, you know, I, I'm kind of, you know, one of those spur of the moment, let's do it kind of people. Like I have yes. my set, I have my set routes with Georgie, um, which believe it or not bore him. He he likes to go out on adventures just like I do. Um, he he like I said, my dog is just amazing. <laughs> he has like, he, he he, you know, we we go out the door sometime and we don't have a destination, we don't have a goal. Our goal is to let's go have an adventure and have a good time. We just ride trains, we ride buses, we walk, we, we're all over the place, all over the place. And you're both still in one piece, so. And we're both still in one piece, yep. Byron, <laughs> yeah, who's I'm, our next hand? I, 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 just, I just want to add one other thing. You know, I'm a big, uh, I'm also, I'm a big activist, uh, somebody that used to always go to sh shows and festivals and you know, noisy, loud places. And Georgie has gone to protests with me. He's gone to marches with me. He has learned now when we walk into a store and he just looks for the marks on the floor, targets them, does the self-distancing, moves up <laughs> six feet at a time. I mean, my, my life is awesome because of this dog. That's really basically it. So we have, uh, we have, Three other questions here, and I realize you have other segments to get to, but um, we have someone from the 614 area code. You are unmuted. Feel free to speak. Hi, this is Melody, Columbus, Ohio. Um, I am increasingly hard of hearing. I also have complex PTSD along with other psychiatric conditions and issues with balance. 
So I was wondering if it would be ideal if I could get a guide dog. I am not a veteran, and I need to brush up on L&M skills. And I have trouble identifying traffic surges in my parallel street. I, I'm not confident with a cane as I think I would be with a guide dog, and I love dogs. And I can care for them. I own a pet. So would it be ideal for me? I, I don't think a, that that's a question they can answer off the bat. You need to evaluate a little bit with the program itself. Right, Lauren? Yeah, so I can say we we welcome anyone to apply. Just kind of as a note, unfortunately, we're not able to cross-train and add PTSD or hearing dog tasks onto a guide dog that's not for a veteran. Um, just kind of a, an FYI that is an unfortunate thing. Um, but just due to, we do work with individuals who also have hearing loss or other disabilities regularly that are not veterans. We just can't necessarily add on additional tasks to help with that. I would encourage you to do your research and to apply um, and maybe look into O&M specific programs for those who are blind and deaf because um, you might find that helpful as well. Awesome. Okay, thank you. All right, All right Byron, who's up next? Byron? Hmm. Well, Desiree should be there. Desiree? Yeah, I'm here now. <laughs> there you go. All right. Nope. And uh, actually, after four times for submitting videos, I'm now waiting for final approval for dog number four from the, from the foundation. So Nice. What's your comment? My comments is, uh, yep, I, I can relate to everything because I've had dogs that are, you know, they're just that way. You get to, you get to be a team and you just go do what you yep. need to do. Awesome. I mean, well, Desiree, thank you for being such an awesome, um, listener of Sunday edition. Byron, who's up next? We have a final question. Uh, four, one, five area code. You are unmuted. Four one five, come on down. There you go. Good morning, California time. This is Margie. Hi. Hi, Margie. Welcome. Hey, (laughs) Anto. I want to say just as 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 a person who's had a guide dog um, over a forty year period from another school, this has been an outstanding presentation. Truly, I love hearing from puppy raisers. Um, I love knowing about other schools. All of that. And um, if I may, Anthony, I'll ask for forgiveness, not permission. I want to put in a quick plug for Guide Dog Users, Inc., which is an affiliate of ACB. Absolutely. And and, um, we are a consumer advocacy organization, just like all of ACB's programs. We do education, advocacy. We've been very active with the TSA, et cetera, et cetera. Um, If you want more information, go to gdui.org. Thank you, Anthony, and thank you, um, Foundation. So I have one more question for Lauren and Doug, and then I'm going to ask Holly, Eric, and Nancy to give some final thoughts. Doug, um, Lauren, what happens to the puppies that, unfortunately, for medical or temperament reasons, don't make it through the program? That's a great question, Anthony. And there's so many things that can lead to that. Sometimes the dogs, so the dogs choose to work. 
think that's kind of a good starting point is these yes. dogs make that choice. Some dogs flat out are just like, mm, the same for me. I'd rather be a couch potato or they're the complete opposite and they're just too much. And those dogs that are usually like too excited, too ready to go, do fantastic work for ATF or TSA. So we have dogs that literally go so many places. Not only do they move kind of within the organization, so they might start out on one path, like start out on the guide dog path, but end up on the service dog side or start out on the service dog side, but end up on the guide dog side. Because there are a few like different little twerks and tweaks you want in a guide dog that you might not want in a service dog and vice versa. So the dogs, maybe a facility dog, um, such as Sunny, one of the puppies with the purposes that I just completely forgot about earlier, who was one of the Today Show puppies. The other Today Show puppy, Charlie, um, is a vet dog um, with a wonderful veteran as well. But Sonny, actually, due to allergies, um, he would have made a fantastic guide dog. But we like to try and place the healthiest dogs possible. So Sonny ended up as a facility dog at the Viscardi School and works along children with um, significant disabilities and helps assist them, you know, with fine motor and gross motor skills and all different things. So the dogs can end up working for different service dog organizations also. Um, it might just be they're not a good fit for what we're looking for, but they might do great other places. They might end up working for various, you know, public safety or government organizations, or they might just choose to be a pet and get to live off the rest of their lives with their puppy raiser or with another adopter just doing the dog thing um, for whatever reason. All right, Doug, anything you want to add to that? No, the other thing is... Um... Sometimes you have some uh, clients where they can't keep their old retired yes. guys. So if they can't find a home, then when the dog comes back, you know, um, if they did not keep in touch with their puppy raisers, we can always, you know, try and contact them to see if they want to adopt the dog back. Or then we have a list of people who are kind of looking towards to adopt an old retired guy. Um, and I know myself, I've done that a few times. I mean, you have a well-trained dog there. It's so behaved, you know, um, you know, they, they, you kind of really enjoy them. You know, sometimes I'll take a dog. It just doesn't have much time left in their life. And I'll adopt that dog just, you know, just so it can just kind of hang out and just be a pet. All right. So I want to thank you, Lauren. I want to thank you, Doug, for your time. Can you both, um, just give contact information one more time? Certainly. So your way to contact Doug is actually through me. Um, so sorry about that. You get stuck talking with me first. The reason we do <laughs> that is to reach our field service representatives. We like to have everything come through consumer services just so, one, if your field rep is out, we want to make sure we can still get you help. But also, two, Doug could be out doing a training. I think he's got one starting soon and not be able to answer contact. So if you want to reach Consumer Services, your best bet is by email, which is consumerservices at guidedog.org. You can also do applications at guidedog.org. My email is my first name dot last name at guidedog.org. Um, I'll spare you from spelling that out for you. But if you reach any of those main emails, you'll get to me. Um, another option is by phone. So 631-930-9000 is the main number. So when you call the main number, you can get to CSO, you can, which is consumer services, which is my department. 
You could get to puppy department if you want to talk about puppy raising. You can get to the volunteer department and you can get to finance if you want to make the donation. Uh, specifically, if you want to talk to someone in consumer services, my number is 631-930-9055. Um, and then another great way is just, you know, the website. So www.guidedog.org or vetdogs.org. So let's go backwards. Nancy, you've got that um, BMW on four furry legs. What would you like to say to the Guide Dog Foundation and or Holly and Eric and all the listeners out there about you, Georgie, and why they should donate and why they should consider having a guide dog of their own? Uh, oh, so much you said there. <laughs> I mean, for, for, for anybody that's on the fence or thinking about it or it, it will totally change your life. I mean, not, not only did it change my life due to my vision issues, but I, I would have never survived COVID without this dog. I mean, like he, he's the best thing. And, you know, as far as the guide dog foundation and the razors, phenomenal. I talk about the, I, so all I do is promote GDF. It's it's outstanding organization. What they do is it's just amazing. And the puppy raisers, I don't know, Holly, Eric. I mean, we we're family now. Um, and that, <laughs> and that's something that's something I'll be totally honest. When I first went to class, that's all you hear about is your puppy raiser phone call and celebration Saturday where you meet your puppy raiser. I really had no intention. I really didn't care. I was like, well, whatever. Thank you very much. He's my dog now. But it, the best thing I did was meeting Holly and Eric. And, and Georgie will always be part of their life. Always. I, I couldn't say it better myself. Holly, Eric, to those who may want to puppy raise, to those who have benefited from puppy raisers, what messages, what final thoughts do you want to throw out there? Uh, well, for one thing, I would like to just say thank you to Anthony and, and uh, <clears throat> Nancy for um, just staying in touch. I mean, it means a lot to us. The dogs were such a big part of our lives for um, the, the time that they were here with us. Um, just even little things like, you know, an occasional picture or just, uh, you know, a three sentence uh, email about how they're doing and what they're up to is, is really, really helpful. It, it, that kind of feedback too about how they're doing uh, really goes a long way with us. Uh, and we've, we've been lucky that, you know, you guys have truly become part of our family that we've had visits and things together. And I know, as I said before, it's not always the case, but to anyone that's interested in raising a dog, um, yes, it's very difficult to give away. Yes, it's very difficult to think, oh, well, you know, you might see them for their graduation and you may never speak to them or, or hear much about the dog again, but that's not, we got lucky, we're grateful and you guys are amazing. I would just say, raising a puppy has changed our lives and we will do it again and again and again and get as many dogs out there and try to change as many pe people's lives as we can and bring a little more love into the world. And if they want to take uh, a look or listen to what Brooks has been up to over the last year, where can they find that social media? 
So he is WBAL TV puppy on Instagram. Uh, and we post a lot of his videos and pictures and America's Vet Dogs will continue to post things until he graduates. All right, Lauren, Doug, Holly, Eric, Nancy, thank you so much for joining me. Sunday edition, we'll be right back with the amazing Donna Brown. Thank you very much, Anthony. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. The American Council of the Blind plays an important role in the daily lives of blind and visually impaired individuals all over the country. Whether it's making products and services more accessible for the blind, advocating for appropriate education for blind students, issuing scholarships to deserving college students, fighting for accessible currency, along with a host of other issues, it takes contributions from all of us. You can help by joining the monthly monetary support program, MMS. It's a great opportunity for members and friends to make sure these efforts continue. What ACB does enhances all of our lives. For more information, go to our website, acb.org, click on the donations link, go to the MMS tab, and enter. Or call 612-332-3242. And we're back. That was a promo for the MMS, the Monthly Monetary Support System. Uh, It's been a hard year. It's been a long year. And I'm not advocating to give away what you don't have. But if you find yourself in a place where you have a little extra, both uh, the Guide Dog Foundation and the Monthly Monetary System are great places to send a donation. And it will be much appreciated. With the MMS program, you can also send part of that contribution to your favorite affiliate and split it between ACB and your favorite affiliate. But back to Sunday edition itself. Uh, Donna Brown, are you here with me? I am here. I am so glad that we were finally able to get this together and talk. Welcome to Sunday edition. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You've been a busy lady lately. You've been working, uh, helping out with various conventions. Uh, There's been some board activity. Uh, Let's get to know you and your path to board member. Tell us a little about yourself, where you're from, and how you first got involved with ACB. Okay. Uh, Well, I've got quite a story. I am originally from the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania area. I was a student uh, at the Overbrook School for the Blind, graduated, graduated from Kutztown, now University of Pennsylvania, uh, with a degree in elementary education, as well as teaching visually impaired. And I always said I was going to go to wherever the job was. Well, (laughs) the job took me to Romney, West Virginia, which Romney and Philadelphia are very different. Um, (laughs) So anyway, it was a little culture shock coming to West Virginia, but it's it's home now. Um, So I uh, took a position at the West Virginia School for the Blind and worked there for 37 years, just recently retired. And while working at the school, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, who's also visually impaired, was a member of American Council of the Blind, but also a very active member in the Mountain State Council of the Blind. And she, after, I guess I was teaching there maybe two years, invited me to their state convention, which was at Harper's Ferry, West Virginia, which is not too far from Romney. 
Um, and so I decided to go and, and I was always one of those people who really liked to be a part of things. Uh, I, I just was always an active person. You know, as a child, I was a Girl Scout. I was a member of all kinds of athletic teams. I played in the band. You know, I, I, I was always into something. And so it, the Mountain State Council just sort of seemed like a perfect fit for me to get involved. And so I uh, went to my first national convention in 1987 in Los Angeles. <laughs> and I remember it just like it was yesterday because I did the same thing at my first convention as like Dan and Leslie Spoon and many others have done, signed up for all kinds of tours and, you know, did way, signed up for way more than I could attend and, and all that. Um, but over time, I, I started to really get to know people um, at the state and national level and, and also just sort of take an interest in, in the organization. Um, and so what really got me involved in the national uh, was the ACB walk, ironically. Uh, <laughs> that started, well, it'll be, this will be the 13th year uh, in 2021. And um, the first few years, I just was a participant in the walk. Eh, no big deal. You know, I, I, I raised a little bit of money and had fun and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but then after about two or three years, Dan Dillon asked me to be on the walk committee. And I'm like, oh, a national committee? I don't know. Y you know, and so I, I said yes, because, uh, again, I, I like to be a part of things. And um, so then uh, over the next couple of years, eventually, I was asked to chair the walk committee. And and I did so. And um, then I just started to attend board meetings, not on a regular basis, but if I would get to say like the mid-year meeting early or the ACB convention, I'd go into the board meeting for a little while. And, um, and I, I eventually was on the, the resource development committee for ACB. And, and I just sort of started taking a little more of an interest in, in, you know, what was happening at, at the national level. And I, I actually, uh, one time and hopefully get to do it some more now that I'm retired, but um, went to the legislative seminar and actually went on the Hill all by myself. I was scared, but I, I got it done. <laughs> and and um, So anyway, uh, I really thank though many people in ACB who encouraged me to sometimes step out of my comfort zone um, and maybe take on some tasks that I, that I just didn't think I could do, but they felt I could. And, um, and so, you know, namely the Spoons and Dan Dillon and uh, just various people um, at the national level. And, and so then I just eventually decided to ch try to run for the board and uh, people had confidence in me and, and elected me. Well, maybe uh, they made a good decision as far as I'm concerned. I'm, <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> I'm going to ask it as politically correct as I can. What is your vision status? I, I am totally blind. You are. Yes. I, I was born with glaucoma and um, I, I have a brother and sister who are also blind. And I had amazing supportive parents who encouraged us to be the best that we could be. And so anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So now you're on the board. You've been helping out with all of these, including your uh, home state of, uh, of Mountain State, West Virginia, all of these um, conventions. What else do you have going on in ACB right now? Uh, well, I serve on several committees. Um, I'm the member lead on the um, membership uh, steering committee. Um, and I serve on the um, information and peer support steering committee. And of course, the, re- the, the development steering committee. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, how I got into the, the Zoom hosting and stuff, I, I had said to Dan Spoon last spring, I said, you know, I, I, because I, I was a technology specialist uh, my last several years of teaching. And, you know, I do have some technology skills. And I said, you know, I could learn to do this, I think. And he told me to reach out to Deb Cook-Lewis and um, Deb and Cindy trained me, you know. And so I've just really enjoyed being involved in the some of the Zoom community calls um, and helping people with the convention. I've gotten to know people and, and really have made some friends. And uh, anyway, I, I just, there's some things that I'm not real skilled at, but I, I like to try to to use the skills that I have to the best of my ability. Well, we definitely thank you for going out of your comfort zone and learning new things. You are a fun, excellent host to be <laughs> on a you. call or a convention <laughs> program with. Let's um, let's talk about community calls for a second. Uh, you know, I put people on the spot, and sometimes I get a little chat sized after the show is over. But what are what are your top three favorite community calls? Oh wow! Okay, um, <laughs> I, well. Um, the, let's just talk about Jesus, I think is my favorite one. It's just a a nice, relaxing and and fun sharing time. Uh, probably, um, I do like Leslie's, um, uh, oh, what is it? Um, oh my God. Started with easy chair yoga. No, but I, I don't do that one. Um, but the one she has, um, oh my goodness, the, uh, I'll think of it, but hey, the tough one now that she does, she'll come yeah. on and tell me here in a little while. So, <laughs> um, and let's see, you ask about three. Um, gosh, I, you know, I have really, they haven't been going on too long, but I've really enjoyed the um, leadership training uh calls that that the leadership training committee of which I'm a member of but my my turn hasn't come yet so I have not been a presenter um but I've really enjoyed those calls not only the content that has been presented but the the questions from the ACB community and the the um interaction from the uh ACB community on those calls I've I've really enjoyed that Let's talk about the walk for a second. Uh, it is the Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk, and you um, are heavily, heavily involved in putting it together every year. How did it change this year virtually, and are we expecting anything exciting for the upcoming virtual convention and walk? Well, you know, the interesting thing about the walk, um, even before virtual conventions came along, there's been a virtual component but yep. you know, people didn't think of virtual in in that way, and 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 it wasn't, you know, it wasn't really a big thing. And the strange thing is, in 2020, at the um, leadership 
mid-year leadership uh, conference, we emphasized virtual walkers yep. as part of our presentation. Uh, and COVID um, hadn't happened yet, or at least it wasn't um, known right, to be happening. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, so what we were trying to encourage people to understand was that, you, you know, not everybody can come to the convention, and we know that, and, and there's various reasons. And so we were encouraging people that they could still participate in this activity back in their home communities and, and still raise money for ACB, and even if they weren't coming, it just didn't matter. Well, then, you know, when COVID came along, everybody was in the virtual mode. <laughs> um, and, and it ended up being quite successful. Um, uh, we actually had done some videos of, of people in, in their home communities and exercising in the way that they exercise and that kind of thing. And uh, I'm so happy to say that the walk raised uh, over $92,000 um, as a oh. virtual event in 2020. Um, now, some of that gets split between ACB and the affiliates, but still that's, that's a, that's an that impressive number. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, so as far as 2021, um, we, we're in the early planning stages. I can tell you that our, our fundraising goal is $95,000. Um, and our, we're hoping to maybe get some new uh, walk teams. Um, and when I talk about a walk team, I'm talking about affiliates can and um, ACB committees, especially those who have uh, a budget line item, like, for example, audio description. Um, they can form walk teams and whatever monies they and their team raise up to 50 percent of that can come back to that affiliate or committee. Um, and so. Florida has really taken advantage of that and has raised a a lot of money and, and over the last several years, which is wonderful. Um, But even a small affiliate like West Virginia, that's our biggest fundraiser because we can't do state fundraisers very well. It's so rural and and it's just really hard. Um, And so we has, we have raised as much as $2,000 for our affiliate uh, not this year, this past year, but we have over the years. Um, and so that's part of our goal in 2021, but we're, we're going to try to add some more flair to it. We just don't quite, uh, probably in about two to three months, it, certainly by mid-year, it, you'll hear a lot more. So um, you will come back close to convention time and uh, talk with us about what the walk is going to look like this year and whatever surprises you come up with. Yes. Yes, sir. I will. All right. Tell me a little bit more about Mountain State and anybody out there who might be listening who has not become a Mountain State member or an ACB member. Why should they? Okay. So the Mountain State Council of the Blind is the West Virginia affiliate of the American Council of the Blind. And um, we have right now we have two local chapters, one in where I live in the Romney area and one in the Morgantown area. Um, we uh, recently kind of sort of led the way in passing legislation for accessible um, absentee voting. Um, and some of our members uh, proudly took advantage of that in the most recent election. Um 
we hold an annual convention, which was virtual this year, just like probably just about everybody else's. Um, and for the first time ever, we actually were streamed on ACB radio. Um, we support, uh, we have, we do have a scholarship, um, that we award each year. And then we also have a technology sort of grant fund um, where people can um, submit an application uh, for a device that they might not be able to, maybe they might be able to pay part of it and and then we would assist them in, in paying, you know, some of it. Uh, we also... Um, have a newsletter that we, it's called the Rhododendron, which is the state flower of West Virginia. Um, and we certainly, you know, uh, advocate for the members of, of West Virginia. And we do a lot of uh, supporting for the youth in, in West Virginia. We contribute to the uh, Beatty contest, which is benefits and audio description and education contest that ACB sponsors. Um, we play a, a pretty active role in the uh, Rail Challenge, which is um, sort of a, a national, but it holds regional competitions in, in Braille. Uh, the students have to take various tests in, in um, Braille accuracy and proofreading and, you know, various skills, comprehension and stuff. And so Mountain State Council um, contributes to um, – uh, awarding the the winners in in the West Virginia regional uh, with prizes, and then each participant gets something as well. And whenever we can, Mountain State Council members actually help with the Braille Challenge. Uh, we also, again, back to youth, <laughs> uh, we because we feel the youth of today is is the future um, for tomorrow for ACB and and other ad advocacy efforts. So we try to really uh, reach out and mentor the youth. Um, but we also support the Cane Quest, which is another activity sponsored by the, the Braille Institute in California, where students um, test their skills in, in using their cane and mobility and orient orientation and mobility skills. Awesome. So I'd like to have a little bit of fun with my guests and we are going to transition to Leslie Spoon. So hopefully you'll stay on for questions after Leslie's done. But let yes. me give you a fast five so that the listeners oh, no. can get to know you <laughs> a little bit, a little bit more personally. So guilty pleasure wise, would you rather read a trashy novel or watch one of those real housewives programs? <laughs> or something else you can let us know what's your guilty pleasure oh man um probably watch one of the whatever the this uh, house or whatever shows you said <laughs> i don't know are you a sweet or a tangy kind of person what's your uh snack for? oh wow um oh man Probably a little more sweet. I, they joke because I, I periodically between our walk call and our resource development call, and I saw Dan Spoon on here, and he'd just jump at the the fact that I eat M and M's all in between those two calls. So I guess I have to say sweet. <laughs> what is your funniest convention memory, whether it be state or national? What's your funnest convention memory? 
Oh my goodness. Um, man, cause I've been to so many, um, gosh, uh, um, man, I, that's a, that's a hard one to think about <laughs> my most fun. Uh, well, um, I guess probably, wow. Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> that, that's a, that's a hard one. I guess probably, um, well, in the first time we went to, to Minneapolis, um, I forget what year that was, but whatever year it was way back long time ago, <laughs> um, I, I actually um, went with some friends um, to the Mall of America. There, there was a tour scheduled to go there, but we actually took the whatever the Minnesota um, train, or you know, uh, uh, pair, our transit system. We took that. But anyway, we this lady, we had no idea where we were going, and um, this lady kind of told us which train to get on, and, and this, that, and the other. And she said, "I work at Bubblegum Shrimp." in the, in the mall of America. And she said, come, come, uh, you know, eat there for lunch. Well, we, you know, did our thing at the mall and, and we kept getting lost in the mall and, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, so anyway, we decided to go there. And, and so we, we asked for her, we were sure we wouldn't get her cause you know, it was really crowded and uh, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, they, they did, they, they honored our request. And, and so that, that was just really neat because we've really got to know her. In fact, she took the train back home, went back to the hotel with us too, which wasn't planned, but it, that was just a, a fun, first of all, it was kind of a relaxing, you know, you were away from the convention and, and that made it kind of fun too, but we had no idea where we were going. None, none of us, there was one person with us that could see. (laughs) Nice. So the last question I'll ask you is during this time of COVID, everybody's life has been upside down, upended, changed in so many ways. What have you learned about yourself and about your life through this COVID that you'd like to pass on? I think probably I I've learned that, that, um, that I really do have a network of friends. And, and I knew that before. Um, but I think it becomes real, you know, when, um, because I I have thankfully not felt lonely, um, depressed, you know, or, or anything. I mean, I'm, I, I wish I could travel and, and go visit friends and, you know, away from here, but, um, I can call them on the phone at any time. Um, I can get on a zoom call with, you know, with people at any time, I've been able to still walk, um, almost every day with a friend of mine. Um, so I, I, I guess I, I just feel like that network of friends really became real, um, during this time. And I'm so thankful for that. Well, I want to thank you on behalf of ACB for all that you do, all the committees, all the board work, et cetera, et cetera. It's a lot of responsibility, it's a lot to take on, and um, you're one of the great people, great leaders in ACB, so thank you so much. Sunday edition will be right back. We're going to talk with Leslie Spoon. Donna, you're going to stay around in case anybody has any questions? Yes, I will. All right, we'll be right back. Do you use an Android or iOS device? ACB Link connects members and friends of the American Council of the Blind with ACB Link. 
access valuable resources, get push notifications designed to keep you in the know about late-breaking news items of value to ACB members and friends. Easily and conveniently connect to the ACB state and special interest affiliates of your choice. Be informed and entertained by the programming available from ACB Radio's various channels. Play ACB podcasts on demand and gain valuable information that focuses on dealing with sight loss, whether you're facing vision loss yourself or have someone in your life who is. ACB Link is intuitive, easy to use, and fully accessible. Download it today from your app store. Be in the know and enjoy what ACB has to offer through ACB Link. Yes, ACB Link will connect you with this stream and this show, as well as all the wonderful conventions and special programming that is offered through ACB Radio and the soon-to-be ACB Multimedia Network. I am back, and I am about to talk with one of America's most memorable First ladies, she is a yoga guru. She is a community call staple. And of course, you know her every year for the holiday auction and all of the work she puts into that. Leslie, welcome to Sunday. Welcome back to Sunday edition. Hi, Anthony. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thank you for coming. So we are a little bit, uh, a little bit less than an entire week away from the beginning of the auction, which starts not actually on auction day, right? No, it will start Friday, um, November 27th and Saturday, November 28th with a little sneak a peek appetizer auction. Uh, those, that list will not go out till Friday, starting at noon Eastern. Um, and then the items, there's 14 items each day. Um, we did this for over the summer auction and it went really well. So it's a, it's a sneak a peek, Anthony. It's, it's like a little, you know, appetizing, uh, you know, after, after, uh, Thanksgiving, it's our black Friday holiday auction, uh, sneak a peek. So <laughs> we're excited. Um, there's opening bids, you know, um, and then people call me and email me. This does not go up on the actual website like the other one is up there. So, um, for and Sunday. you did mention this was done in the summer. This was definitely a crowd pleaser. So, what did you learn from bringing the auction virtual for the first time that you're applying to the holiday auction this year? Well, um, the summer auction was just a hit. I mean, virtually, we, you know, first time doing it virtually, like Donna, my good friend Donna Brown. She's, you know, did wonderful, (laughs) Um, you know, virtually it's a new, it was a new experience for us doing it virtually um, with my team, my auction team. And it, you know, it was great. It's fun. Um, I tell you, there's an auction every weekend now. So, you know, it's, it's crazy, (laughs) but um, I love auctions. You know, I think, um, you know, I've done, I've done them all from every other, every other, but everybody else's conventions i've participated um we had one in here in florida and then did summer auction convention auction for american council of the blind and now we're we're getting reared up for the holiday auction which will be sunday november 29th you know so um that one is up on acb.org right now so a week from today yes so I promised my listeners that you would give us a couple of juicy items that we can think about over the week. What are some of the highlights that you can talk about for the auction this year? Oh, for Sunday, I can talk about Sundays. I can't talk about Friday and Saturdays because that's, that's, you know, 
Can't give that's any of those teasers. away. Yes, that's Absolutely. teasers. Everybody has to pay pay close attention to those. And for those, Anthony, just let me tell them that they need to call me or email me and my information is everywhere. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and I can give it to you again at the end here, but um, they do need to but call. But can they call Dan? No, they, they cannot call Dan. <laughs> Dan has a different number. <laughs> they need to call my number. <laughs> so I don't think, yeah, he's like, I don't think he's involved, but he will be if he needs to be, but you, you could call his number. He'll give it to me, but. Prefer, preferably me. So, um, and so Sunday, let's see some good items. Well, there's a lot of wonderful technology. There's some echo studios and echo shows and lots of food and wonderful cakes and fudge and, uh, you know, great, wonderful handmade crafts from a lot of our wonderful, um, donors uh stuff from carrie bishop which is a really good favorite mm. and then stuff from the acb crafters which is a they do a community call first time giving so that's awesome uh i tell you anthony my back room looks like a storage room it looks like a looks like you know we we could start selling stuff <laughs> <laughs> so um just lots of wonderful stuff you know um jewelry there's there's good jewelry uh like I said, Carrie Bishop has some items in both both of them, the appetizer and the Sunday Sunday uh, holiday auction. And uh, there's just, you know, there's some jewelry from South Dakota, the Black Hills Gold again. Nice. So, yeah, very nice. So lots of food. So, you know, if you're hungry, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a wonderful. I just I can't thank my committee enough, though, Anthony. You know, it, it takes a village. You know, auctions are a big thing. It's it's it takes a village, and I have a wonderful village and family in my in my committee. There's ten of us on my committee, so you know. Well, do the quick committee shout out, and I, I'm sure you want to shout out the Minneapolis office too. Why don't you run oh, through definitely. them? Uh, name by name, as quick as you can. Fire. Oh, them my off. committee. Yes. I might forget somebody. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't want to forget anybody. They know who they are, so. I'll thank them Sunday night. <laughs> so tell us how Sunday instrumental night. the Minneapolis office really is in all this. Oh gosh, the Minneapolis office, I can I can't say enough about them. Nancy Becker and and crew and team there, you know, have been wonderful. Um there's a registration form out. So if you haven't seen that, I put it out on leadership. It's out on dots and dashes. Um it will go back out again today, but you can go to members m e m b e r s dot acb.org and you need to register that'll get you registered for both auctions and then um you'll get the zoom information next week there's no zoom information for friday or saturday so what part of the auction are you most excited about this year what part (laughs) all of it anthony i tell you (laughs) you we, we talk a little bit about i might get a little sad here we talk about my good friend that's passed Brenda Dillon you know um Donna Brown my good friend Donna Brown I love her to death you know she is she uh, is the chair of the ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk you know but Brenda Dillon and I met in 09 when when um when you know ACB came here so ACB came to Dan and I which we always say and I tell you, this walk and the auctions, the holiday auction and the ACB summer auction, 
they would not be, they would not exist if it was not without her, to be honest. It was her idea. It was her baby, hers and Cindy Hollis and Jeff Tom. They started the ACB summer auction. Um, and then we talked about it. Brenda and I talked about when she was still alive doing the holiday auction, the very first one with Carla Rushaval. Um, and, you know, it's just a love. I love the auction. I can't say enough about the auction. I love it. Uh, it's fun. I love, I love bugging people. Everybody knows that about me. I, I love to call people. I love to email people now, um, you know, and say, hey, it's, it's auction time. Do you want to donate? You want to you give? And I don't ever turn anything down, you know. Um, you know I had somebody call a couple weeks ago, and I, they said, can I still give? And I said, sure, we'll take it. I'll put it in the appetizer. You won't get, it won't be up on acb.org, but it, you can still give, you know. There, we do do deadlines, but, you know, it's the heart of this organization that really touches me when I do auctions. I don't know. It just gets to me. I love it. I, I get, I get fired up, you know? So I'll, I'll be happy and sad when Sunday I told Dan today, I said, it's sad. It's almost over, you know? So. <laughs> and how long of a uh, off time do you give yourself before you start working on the summer auction? Oh, it'll be February. We'll start in February. <laughs> DC leadership, everybody get ready. <laughs> so you and Dan get that room back for about three weeks or so, and then it starts collecting all over again. Huh? We get to vacuum it, Anthony, and clean it up. And then, yes, it, it goes again. <laughs> so I want to alert Byron um, at any point, jump in if we have any hands up for a Leslie or Donna, since she was going to stay on. But um, Leslie, you are pretty darn famous in another arena, and that is community calls. What um, what calls have you been hosting lately? Well, let's see. I do the yoga on Monday, Easy Chair Yoga on Monday, um, and that's at four p.m. Eastern. That's in the chair. We don't get out of the chair. It's very easy, 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 easy. So that's four p.m. Eastern, and then went Tuesday, I, Tuesday and Thursday, I do a resistance class which is with the weights and the bands, um, which I love. And that's fun. It's a little harder. Um, and, you know, we, we walk through things. And I tell you, Anthony, since I've started these calls, and then Wednesday I do um, advanced yoga. So it's on the floor. So sorry about that at four. But I, I tell you, I have met new friends through the community. Um, I started it in March with, when Cindy Hollis asked me to do one class. And I said, sure. And then... Um, I said, can I do another one? Can I do another yoga? And she said, sure. And then I said, you know, how about some resistance? And, and everybody said, yeah, let's do some resistance, you know, cause we want to work our upper body and get in shape and everything. So, um, that took off and then everybody said, how about another one? I said, sure. <laughs> so, you know, um, that's what my, my, um, certifications are in. I'm, I'm a yoga instructor. I'm a, I used to teach die hard step back in the nineties. <laughs> I don't know if you know that and kickboxing and all that, but you know, I'm old now, so <laughs> I'm slowed down, but it's just so amazing with the community. Anthony, I tell you um, what I'm thankful for is the community and, and meeting so many new people, you know, in the ACB community. I, I've been in it a while like Donna and and learn things and, you know, know a lot of people, but I have met so many new people this year since March, you know? 
the community calls have become an amazing, amazing gift to all of us. What are two or three calls that aren't part of your purveyance that you also enjoy going to? Oh, gosh. Well, I don't cook at all. It's a joke in our household. And (laughs) (laughs) Donna knows that. Um, But I like to go to Sheila's recipe calls just to hear what everybody else is cooking. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I go to the ACB women's calls because I'm on that committee. Um, I go to their calls. And then um, I've tried to go to something that is out of my box. So like I said, the recipe calls. Um, just to hear other people, phenomenal cooks that we have in this community. And then another one, I'd have to say, um, Patty Slavey does a, um, I think it's garden home, home, home show on Mondays. On Mondays. So yeah. I need to go to the technology ones, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm not techie savvy. So I really do need to go to those and learn those. So, uh, maybe that'll be my new year's resolution. Well, Dan is a shining example. If you put a little bit of effort in, his Zoom skills have gone <laughs> through the roof since virtuality began. <laughs> He's doing awesome. I can't say enough about him, you know? So, <laughs> what, um, what plans do you guys have for Thanksgiving? Uh, we will go to his sister's and um, just be with them, socially distance, wear our mask. We'll be outside since it's Florida. So, It'll be in the 80s, which will be nice. So, And just enjoy. And so. what does Monday after the auction look like? Oh, rest. Rest <laughs> and start charging people and, and start shipping. <laughs> start, start getting rid of the back room, shipping out um, the items to the wonderful winners. You know, um, I have, a, I have a, like a herd of women that come over to my house every day that work out with me and walk with me. Um, so like Donna said, you know, we still walk and everything. So they'll come over and they'll start helping me ship. They did it for the summer auction. So nice. what was yeah. the most surprising um, item that's been donated? Surprising. Hmm. Well, I did just get one the other day and I can't talk about it because it's special. Oh, so is it one of those Friday or Saturday teasers? Oh, it's a Sunday teaser. Ooh, okay. And it will be, I'll tell you this, it will be in the Dan and Kim segment. All right. Yeah. We will definitely be. Well, yeah. I, I can't yeah. wait to announce whatever it is on the following <laughs> Sunday show. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be listening. What's, what's your goal this year? What, um, what are you hoping for monetary-wise? Oh, from the holiday auction? Yes. Wow. Well, you know, Carla's done this the last eight years. I did the very first year with Carla and I haven't done it since because we broke up the auctions. So I, you know, I have to give a great shout out to Carla, you know, my, my other auctioneer, lovely lady there. Um, I just hope that we do well, you know, and hope, hope that people come and bid and that they don't have auction uh, fatigue. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that that's, you know, just to have fun and, and there's really no, you know, nothing, you know, what, what it makes, it makes. And it, it it always surprises me, the generosity of this community and, and our friends. Byron, do we have any hands up? Uh, I don't see any hands up. Um, if people want to get those hands up in the air, I will certainly um, unmute you and lower those hands. So 
But we have just a few minutes left, so I am actually going to put Donna and Leslie on the spot. Instead of having instead of having a couple show, I will do friends. Donna, Leslie, tell our listeners something surprising that they may not know about your friend. We'll start with Leslie. Something about Donna. Something about Donna. Okay. Donna is a phenomenal listener and a true, genuine friend to have in life forever. And Donna, something about Leslie? Okay. Uh, Something about Leslie that people may not know. Um, You know... We we know that Leslie exercises and stuff, but and and it's kind of a joke. Leslie Leslie likes her chocolate, and you think of people who exercise, you know, shouldn't eat chocolate. But Leslie Leslie likes her chocolate, don't you, Leslie? I do. I love my chocolate. (laughs) Has she been known to mooch your M and M's? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Yes. That's our that's our big big secret. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, again, you know, because I certainly didn't want to repeat everything Leslie said. But Leslie is is a, a wonderful friend, and and is just you know always a, a there. You know, if you need somebody to talk to, and we just have a a great time when we actually can get together in person. All right. Well, then, Leslie, tell everybody where they can register for the auction, um, where to find it on Sunday night, and how to tune into the teasers on Friday and Saturday. Okay, that was a lot. So let me see if I got all that. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you can register at members, M E M B E R S, period, A C B, period, O R G. Okay. The list for Sunday is on acb.org. Um, that's Sunday's list. Friday and Saturday, you need to either email me or call me. I'll give my, should I give my number, Anthony, or? That's on you. <laughs> you can give it. <laughs> so it's. I would change it right afterwards. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> So it's 407-678-4163. So you can call me Friday, starts at 12 p.m. That's Friday, November 27th and 28th. Starting at noon on those days, I will also email. People have been emailing me already, and I've sent them the list. Don't expect the appetizer list yet, though, guys. That's teasing. So, um, And then um, it will be on ACB Mainstream on Sunday night. And we have four auctioneers and four describers, so it's going to be fun. Can I add to that, Anthony, real quick? Sure can. So when a person, which is really, I mean, this is really very well organized. When a person registers for the auction, which I already have, um, they get an email and that gives uh, the information of of how to, you know, access the sneak a peek stuff that that email that you get um, gives that information too, which is nice. So hang on to that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and I also wanted plug. to say that okay. the list on the website is is beautiful. I mean, you you can go down through there by heading, and you know, yeah, and then if really you want the description of the item, then you just use your down arrow. You know, after hear the, the the item name and number, so it's very nice. There's over a hundred items, Anthony. If you'd like to know, so that's together. Yeah. 
That's that's yeah. everything. So I tell you, like I said, donors and individuals have been wonderful. The ACB board has been phenomenal. So everybody is given. It's it's great. And I'll throw a quick plug in there. Gabriel and myself are donating a wine tasting package that includes two bottles of wine. Uh, so hopefully you guys will bid on that and we'll have some person, some fun with a personal event over Zoom, of course. Um, talk for the next minute before we have to say goodbye about the walk and this, uh, this upcoming virtual convention. You want me to go? God, yes. Okay. So, yeah, the 2021 or yeah, 2021 convention is virtual, but there is still going to be a walk and it, it will be a virtual walk and you'll hear more about it. But but um, I just want everybody to remember out there, um, you know, you, you don't, we don't have to be in person to to walk and or to raise money for ACB. Um, and so when you register for the walk, you can sign up. Um, as an affiliate team and get, you know, half the money that you raise, come back to your affiliate, or you can sign up as an individual, um, which is fine too. And so, you know, we don't know exactly what our virtual event is going to look like. Last year, it kind of kicked off the the general session. And I believe we're kind of looking into that same setup again this year. Awesome. Well, I expect both you ladies back (laughs) closer to convention time so we can talk about these and more. Thank you so much, Leslie Spoon, Donna Brown, Thank you, Holly and Eric, Nancy, Lauren Berglund, and Doug. Oh, God, I can't remember his last name. I'm so sorry, Doug. Doug. Anyway, thank you all for coming to Sunday Edition. I'll be back next week with another fabulous show. You've been listening to Sunday edition with Anthony on ACB Radio Mainstream. For more information, questions, comments, feedback, suggestions, etc., please email celebration AC. That's the word celebration with the letters AC at AOL.com. Look forward to hearing from you and let's brunch again next Sunday.